Hello, welcome to episode number two of How I Teach with the Language Arts Lady. I am the Language Arts Lady, Donna Reich, and I am excited to present to you the second episode of videocasts, podcasts, so forth. So um, just in summary, I am a curriculum author, a 32-year homeschool veteran, I've written curriculum for 20 years, uh, written over 100 books, totaling 50,000 pages for a couple of different publishers. Now I also do uh, shorter materials, downloadable materials for my um, website, Language Arts Lady blog, and also for Teachers Pay Teachers. So I'm going to start with some housekeeping. I know it's kind of boring to start that way, but I want to make sure that you get the full benefit from this episode. So you have two choices to watch or to listen. So you can watch live whenever I'm recording, wherever I'm recording. Today, it just happens to be at my Raising Kids with Character Facebook page. You can also, um, you can also watch it um, at YouTube once it is up there. And then you can also listen to it at iTunes. So those are the choices. Now, because a lot of it is visual, and it's one of my pet peeves when people do podcasts, but have so much visual, um, so many visual concepts that you can watch with the PowerPoint at YouTube, or you can find it at the blog, uh, languageartsladyblog.com forward slash how I teach. Um, or you can also listen in iTunes or your podcast provider with your teacher's notebook open. So every episode has a video with PowerPoint. And it also has an audio and it also has the teacher's notebook. So I'm going to just flip back here to the back. Those of you who are watching with the video here, I'm gonna flip back to the back and I'm just gonna uh, show you here, you can get episode sheets for every episode. So everything, if you were watching it live with the slides, everything that you see with the slides is available for you for to put into a notebook for yourself, a binder, an ongoing binder with weekly teaching material for you, teachers tips for you, teachers helps for you, as well as sheets that you can even use with your students, all completely free. So that is available um, here, languageartsladyblog.com forward slash how I teach, and a cumulative one with all of the episode sheets in one large PDF will eventually be at languageartsblog.com teacher's notebook. So that's a little housekeeping stuff for you. So uh, I say that because um, you can listen on the run, you can watch with the PowerPoint in front of you, or you can listen with your teacher's notebook in front of you. So you will uh, want to have the teacher's notebook probably for you to have the teaching material in front of you. So what I am doing with this uh, broadcast is uh, it is a weekly teaching broadcast for parents, teachers, homeschoolers in how I teach from my 50,000 pages of curriculum. And so what I've done is I've pulled out lessons so that I can teach you some of the tricks, tidbits, and techniques that I use to teach in a certain way, to teach a certain thing. So last month, I mean, last week, episode one was how I teach um, three favorites, essay. And so with that, you got essay uh, teaching material, you got essay outlining lines, you got um, 
uh, essay brainstorming boxes, directed brainstorming boxes, all of those things for free in your teacher's notebook. Today's episode is how I teach writing a very short story. And this is primarily for junior high and high school. I will be teaching everything I know <laughs> from second through 12th grade in some form. Eventually it will all be here. Now, the uh, material that I'm teaching from comes from primarily from two sources. I have a complete language arts, uh, very Christian-based complete language arts program. And then more recently, I've been writing shorter materials for the more contemporary, you know, I don't want 1500 pages of language arts people. And so the materials that you're seeing here are coming from this slide that I'm showing now, or if you're in your teacher's notebook page, you can go to the back where it says, learn more purchase materials mentioned. And there are the digital one month books that have this same type of assignment in them, All right? Then also, there are my one semester spiral bound print books. And those are meaningful composition. And some of those are listed that have these exact assignments in them as well. So you have a couple of choices. You also have a choice that you will see in your teacher's notebook that is not mentioned here, that is not showing up right here right now because uh, we're still working out the kinks. I forgot to send that to my assistant. That's definitely not her fault. <laughs> and that is uh, the freebies. There are free books with these lessons in it too. So, so many ways to use the tips, techniques, and um, uh, teaching methods that I have. So without further ado, I bring you how I teach writing a very short story, junior high and high school, um, number two, episode two. All right, so the first thing, and I talked about this last month, is that I always have an overview box. Now, my materials are uh, for teachers to use, you know, like my shorter, my downloads, my one month products, my one week products and things. Those are for teachers, pay teachers, and they're public school, you know, private school, Christian school, homeschool, you know, any type of teacher. And then, of course, my complete language arts is for Christian homeschool situations. So, when I start a project in one of my books, I always begin with an overview box. Now this can look overwhelming, but it's here for two reasons. And so if you're not seeing it, what it is, is there is an overview box that tells the expectations. Now, obviously I want to set my students up for the best success. And the way I do that is by giving them the expectations. So they know that this is a one week or a two week assignment. They know that they're going to write a short story about one real animal trying to get away from another live animal. In other words, it's not animated. That's a different project. And they have some choices here. I always give them ideas or they can choose something completely different, a different pair than antelope trying to escape from a tiger or a deer trying to escape from a cougar or a chicken in a chicken coop trying to get away from a fox, so forth. There are about 15 different choices there. Also in this overview box, I tell them how many paragraphs they're gonna write if they are basic and how many paragraphs are going to write if they're extensions. I tell them how many sentences per paragraph if they are a basic student and how many sentences per paragraph they should have if they are extensions. I tell them if they're doing an opening or if they're doing a closing. I tell them if they have to have quotes or dialogue, which they do not because these are non-animated animals. And I tell them any other skills. 
Now this overview box, I go through with my students and I have them circle and highlight the things that pertain to them. So they have this overview and they always know, and then they put a sticker, a sticky note at the top, and they can always find their overview box. So when they're thinking in their head, did Ms. Donna say I needed quotes or not quotes? They can just look back here. If they wanna know how many paragraphs were we supposed to have? This has eliminated so many text messages from kiddos. Um, not that I mind them because I love it when my kids are doing their assignments and they text me with questions. Um, but the other purpose of the overview box, besides setting the stage for expectations, which is huge in any educational undertaking, is to be sure that students know the expectations. Think about your college days and how you would come home from class and you would just complain because the teacher didn't tell you, you know, something was due yet. She didn't tell you what was due. She didn't tell you when it was going to be due. She didn't tell you what all the elements were yet. She's going to put it up later. She's going to send it to you later. And you were sitting there wondering what the expectations are. We do not want to do this to our students. And so that, that is the first purpose. The second purpose is for teachers because the teachers can look at this and they can see exactly what the parameters are for this project. All right, I'm gonna move into the sample. The sample, let me back up for a second here. It's a five or a six paragraph story. And this is considered a very short story. And so at, true to all of my materials in Meaningful Composition and all of my one month downloads, right on Mowgli, right on Peter Pan, right on Christmas Friends, all of those, uh, right on books. There are 40 of them, 45 of them now uh, that are one month books. True to all of them, they all have this beloved sample story. Now it's especially uh, really special to me because they're usually past students who have done these samples. I also have an assistant writer who writes a lot of them, but I always love to come back and you can see this is by a girl named Hannah Smith. I always love to come back and see, oh my word, eight years ago, Hannah wrote this, you know, it just makes me so, so happy. All right. So I really, really harped in episode one about the samples. <laughs> so I'm not going to harp on it as much this time. But um, I will say that they are magic. <laughs> so you want samples of anything that you are asking your students to write. They, you know, it, you, there used to be this big concern, well, if you show them a sample, then they're just going to copy. And I have not found that to be the case at all in my 20 years of teaching small group writing classes and one-on-one -on -one writing and private tutoring. I've actually found it to be just the opposite, that it just excites them and it gets their motor going and it gets their interest up. It's just phenomenal. So we actually use all of the samples in all my books to teach from. I don't have the time or the space to show you the entire lesson that goes along with this two-week writing project that is in, um, I didn't bring it here. It must be in, um, uh, hmm. I'm thinking that it came from right on um, Mowgli because it's about animals in the wild. So I think it came from right on Mowgli. I don't have my table of contents in front of me, but um, I teach for two weeks, every skill that is needed to write that project. And all of my books teach all of the skills that the student needs. I harped on that in episode one also. So you can go back and hear my rant there if you would like. 
So what that means is that they are learning all of the elements of story writing. You can see here, if you're in uh, the teacher's notebook, you wanna to go to the directed brainstorming box, which is right after the sample. You can see in the directed brainstorming box how you know, they have to lay out their elements ahead of time. So they have to lay out the setting, setting the stage, the opening, how they're, you know, the obstacles, the progressive complications, the climax, the resolution. They have to lay all of those out ahead of time before they write. And so I am literally, the lesson that came before this was literally going through the sample and finding the progressive, finding the, the setting, finding the obstacles, finding the climax, finding the uh, inciting incident, finding the progressive complications, and highlighting it and marking it. So I really recommend that you use samples to teach from, that you don't just read them and move on. My kids' sample page, this page right here, will be so highlighted. It will be so marked up and they will have arrows going all over the place. And I do it on mine and then I hold it up and they do the same on theirs. It will have everything. It'll show the inciting incident. It will, they will mark the, the complications. They'll mark the resolution. They will mark all of that in the sample because learning from a sample is the best way, way better than just telling them what an inciting incident is or telling them what progressive complications means. Right, so this is really the way to teach. Also within this project, there are lessons about um, uh, the setting your stage. There are lessons about um, the three uh, things about your animal and all of those are built in because again, I don't teach something to students that I don't prepare them for. Super, super important. So this will be all marked up. I'm looking at Hannah's sample again. One, two, three, four, five paragraphs, and it will be all marked up. Another great thing about a sample like this is that they see how a very short story is written. At this point, I talk to them a lot about the difference between a very short story and an essay. And I tell them, if you have a limited space, five paragraphs, six paragraphs, you can't tell everything. So you have to really narrow down what is your setting going to be? What is your inciting incident? What are your three obstacles? Those have to be so narrowed down and focused. And if they are not, they cannot fit a story into five paragraphs. I also teach them, of course, if they need dialogue in their story, I will teach them about dialogue. But this particular project is non-animated animals. So there is no dialogue in it. So then there's no reason for me to have a dialogue lesson in this particular project. Also, I tell them that once they start making it longer than five paragraphs, six paragraphs, seven paragraphs, the next thing they know, they have turned their story into an essay. So then next this happened, and then next this happened, and some other animals were over there, and then this happened. But when they get that pre-writing done ahead of time, they have a tight story 
with all the elements fitting in only five or six paragraphs. So I'm gonna take you over from Hannah's sample to the director brainstorming box again. And this is where they are going to lay out all of their elements ahead of time. So they are ready to narrow that story down to five or six paragraphs. Again, this is in your teacher's notebook. Print this off and use this free directed brainstorming box with your students. So what animal will be the prey? the one who is hunted? What animal will be the predator, the one who attacks or, and hunts? What is the setting, river, savanna, jungle, ocean? What will you include in your opening? What will be your inciting incident? How and when will the predator make its initial attack? Again, I've already taught that, right? I use the sample to teach all of that. Number six, what progressive complications will the prey have? So what are the obstacles? Choose at least three. And then there are examples there. Animals already hurt. The terrain traps the animal. Land animals in water. The predator catches them by surprise, right? They have some ideas there. And of course, we've already marked those in Hannah's sample story. So they have already seen some good obstacles. Number seven, what will be the climax? A, how will the prey finally escape? Or B, will it escape? And then number eight, how will your story be resolved? We cannot simply tell them that an inciting incident is this, a progressive complication is this, obstacles are these, a climax is this, and a resolution is this, now go right. I couldn't even do that. And story writing is my least strong writing type. And so when I wrote a novel with my son, he had to tell me everything to do. And so I know that the, the student who is not a natural story writer needs all of these things so that they just put them down right in their directed brainstorming box. And then writing is so much easier. All right, next, of course, we create scene descriptions. And I do have this lesson included here. It was just getting so long and um, I don't want to overwhelm you. And again, we do have free lessons all throughout um, the website. So the scene description lesson teaches a lack of description and over description. And again, focusing on what does a student need to complete this project? So to complete this project, a student needs to understand scene descriptions because he only has five or six paragraphs to do everything in. And so we first of all work on the first gutter, which is the lack of description that projects no pictures into the imagination of the reader. And then we go into the second one, which is over description. And this is describing too much. This is something that happens a lot both ways, right? You'll have one writer who is not putting much description in, but yet the tiger, I don't know if tigers do this, the tiger is following the otter across the riverbed and uh, swimming. Do we even know if tigers swim? Okay, anyway. and. There's no description. We don't know like how far ahead is the otter? How far behind is the tiger? How fast is the otter? What does the river look like? How far do they have to go? So there's lack of description there. 
And then of course we have students who describe every single thing and they don't know how to choose the most important things to describe. And it's not their fault, right? How do we know? How, kids don't know until we tell them, right? And it's our responsibility as their teachers to set them up for the most success that they can possibly have. So the overdescription happens when they don't really know what to describe. So they describe everything. So there's a house on the riverbed, on the river, near the river, right? And near the river's edge, there's a house, but it has nothing at all to do with the tiger and the otter. And do tiger and otters even live together? <laughs> this is what I tell my kids and they're just like, and then they know the answer. They're just like, no, Miss Donna, they don't. So anyway, so cute. Aren't kids the best? They're just the best. So let's assume that tigers and otters are together for this purpose. All right. And so then they start describing that house, even though the otter nor the tiger went anywhere near the house, but they don't know that they don't need to describe that, right? And so this is where these two gutters come into play. All right, so then we teach them to use action and be picky. So um, this page that I'm on is your Be a Helper Link Verb song page. So it's kind of at the bottom of your teacher's notebook page if you're not watching the slides. But on the slides, you'll see, it's, again, it's the same in the slides that is, is in the teacher's notebook. All right, I just wanna clarify that, that if I'm teaching from something on the slide, you have it in your teacher's notebook. All right, so here we have two keys, use action and be picky. So um, the first thing I teach is how to get rid of being, helping and linking verbs. I guess we're not helping in that case, but being verbs that are by themselves. So I do this by teaching the Be a Helper Link Verb song, which is right here. That's another freebie for you guys. Be a helper link verbs is our am, was and were, be and being, then become, has and had and have our ones, can, could, shall, should, they are fun, will, would, do, did, does, and done, may, might, must, there's some as well, appear, look, see, remain, taste, feel, and smell. Now, all of the being, helping, and linking verbs are together, I believe there are 36, in one song. And the reason for that is that they are used interchangeably and they don't have adverbs with them. And they do have predicate nominatives following them. So all of them are grouped together for those reasons. That's another lesson for another day. So I teach them the Be a Helper Link Verb song. And then I teach them how to find those being and linking verbs that are by themselves. Those are the ones we want to get rid of. I always teach them that, of course, you need be a helper linking verbs when they're helping an action verb tell when something happened, but we don't need them when they're by themselves. So they have to learn the song first. And on the next page, there is an assignment um, that has them going through and making passive sentences into action sentences. And the way we teach that in this lesson is to go through and find all the BHL verbs that are by themselves and highlight them. And then rework the sentence. So, and this is here free for you to use with your students so that they don't have a being verb or linking verb. Instead, they have an action verb. And it isn't showing here in the slides, there are just four here. You can, can, you can write more. The lesson is longer than this, but um, there are four here as samples. But again, just like everything else in all of my books, there is a, an example box. 
So it has examples of the robin's nest was soft, not the actual quest, not the actual sentences that they're working on, but sample ones. The robin's nest was soft, and they get rid of the was, and they say the um, uh, robin's nest was nestled gently among the branches, right? Nestled gently. Okay, so they're going to get rid of the was and use nestled. All right, so this is a great way to teach them descriptive writing because they are getting rid of the passive being and linking verbs and instead using verbs for their forward motion. All right, next, I teach research for story writing as it is needed. So they, um, let's see, the brainstorm box isn't here. Okay. All right. Yeah. The director brainstorming box is where they filled all that in. All right. So um, there are different types and different levels of research, right? Depending on if they're writing a research report or they're writing a story or they're writing a persuasive research piece. Um, but for their story writing, I always bring up things to them like, how do you think the author of your favorite book knew about the ocean that he was writing about or knew about the weather in Germany in 1920. You know, how do you think he knew those things? And then this gets them thinking that, yes, you know what? I do need to know, you know, do otters and tigers live together? I do need to know, do tigers swim across the river, right? And um, so they want to use facts that are interesting woven to their and within their story. So there's an example there that says, if I were writing a story about a giraffe and I opened with a giraffe eating, I could say the giraffe nibbled on leaves from the tree. But with a little research, I learned that the most common thing the giraffe eats is the acacia leaf and that they use their long tongues to grab the leaf and bring it to their mouths. Now, instead of the giraffe nibbled on leaves from the tree, I can say the giraffe stretched its long tongue around the acacia leaf and pulled it into its mouth. It is the same basic action, but with more real life detail. All right, so then I give them some things to think about. Uh, how do your animals move? What type of movements do they have? What defenses does your prey have to help it stay alive? Speed, trickery, keen eyesight, extreme hearing, armor. How does the predator hunt? Where would the attack you're describing most likely take place? And then I have assignments for them to look these things up. I didn't include all the lines and everything here um, or in the teacher's notebook, um, so it wouldn't get too long. But C1 assignment says, look up the predator in an encyclopedia, write 10 facts, You know, knowing that you won't use them all, but you'll have them available. And then look up the prey in an encyclopedia and write 10 facts. Right, then we move into outlining. And I do have the outlining uh, line started for you. And you can photocopy those and use as many of those as you want, depending on how many paragraphs you want your student to write. But here are the instructions. Um, and if you have your teacher's notebook, you'll see that those are there. But uh, the instructions are to go back to their brainstorming box and get their information 
and then go paragraph by paragraph, right? So paragraph, topic of paragraph one, what's happening? Topic of paragraph two, what's happening? Topic of paragraph three, what's happening? And they're gonna use that brainstorming box to do this because they're going to say, okay, this paragraph needs to have the inciting incident. And this paragraph needs to have obstacle one. And this paragraph needs to have obstacle two and then resolution, climax, so forth. And so they just put those right there on their paragraph topic lines. All right, then we also have some synonyms for their animals. Uh, there was also a, let's see if that's here. Um, it isn't, but um, there was also a lesson on how your animal moves, okay? And using the right words for your animal's movements like lumber versus dart. So that was in there as well. Again, we want to teach everything that is needed for the child to succeed. Have I said that enough in this episode yet? All right, so here we have some synonyms. And um, of course, we want them to look up more than what are here, but uh, we have synonyms for predator, we have synonyms for prey, and then we have synonyms for animals that will work with specific kind, like avian for birds, bovine for ox or cow, um, cow for many large female mammals, including elephant, seal, and whale, uh, tigress, vixen, vulpine, so forth. All right. And there's also a place in the lesson for them to come up with more synonyms for their specific animals. All right. Without further ado, guys, it's time to move into wacky words because I'm already going longer than I'm supposed to. I don't know how I'm ever going to get these down to 30 minutes, but I know Everybody's time is so precious right now um, in our busy world, but uh, busy families and busy homes and busy teachers. So let's move into wacky words. All right, I have seven tips for you on two, two, and two. And again, I hope that you'll print out your teacher's notebook that has all of this stuff in there for free for you. All right, so this is the protocol that I use to teach wacky words. Seven tips for two, two, and two for teachers. So here we go. First of all, I start out by teaching the numeral two, T-W-O. And the reason I do this first is because from first grade, sometimes even kindergarten on, they have written their first five and 10 numbers in their penmanship book, in their uh, uh, language arts program, and in their math program, right? So one of the most important things we can do for our kids is to, uh, let them use what they already know. I always tell my students, you know more than you think you know. You know more than you think you know. So use what you already know. And so this is one of those instances where it's just always a good idea to start out with something you know that they know, right? Then they can build on that. And we're starting out uh, you know, at a little higher level than ground level um, of not knowing anything about the concept. So everybody knows about the numeral two, T-W-O. And then the second trick is, and there is a, what is there? There is an article all about this too, a language arts lady, blah. Number two, when you teach two, T-E-O, start with it as a preposition, okay? Uh, prepositions are part of speech. I'm gonna be teaching those here. They are part of speech that we start out with immediately. So the first TO is to the store, to mom, to the mountains, 
to the um, to the school, right? It is showing position, and that's the first thing we teach about prepositions: is that prepositions show position. So that's a good place to start because kids know that they, you know, that will get them to know that they don't use TWO when they want to say that they're going somewhere. So then we have TWO, and then we have to like to the store, to town, and so forth. And then when you combine those, just do those two together first, to TWO and TO. So examples, I'm going to TO slash TWO, the store. I want to TWO slash TO, pieces of candy. So we're not, especially for young kids, now this isn't necessary with older students, but with young kids, we don't wanna ask, we don't wanna to give too much information all at the same time, we're not pouring information in, that's not a teacher's job to just open the brain and pour it in, right? And we're not asking for too many skills all at the same time, especially if they're new skills. So then when we combine it, we just do those two together. Again, they already know TWO, so they're gonna get them all right. Yay for them, right? All right, then the next thing is to teach tricks for TOO for older students. So the first thing, the trick, the first trick that I teach is that TWO, TOO, two has too many O's in it. And it means in excess. That sticks with kids really well. TOO has too many twos. So when you want to say too much, use that one. It has too many O's in it. And then also older kids can especially adjust to this trick easily. And that is that TOO has two vowels just like also, and then I capitalize the A and I capitalize the O and I have them highlighted. So also has an A and an O, two vowels, and T-O-O has two vowels, and T-O-O can mean also. So the two tricks for two show that it means excess, too many, and it all, they all, this trick also shows that it has two vowels in it just like also, so it means also, T-O-O means also. My fifth uh, protocol for this is teach two as the beginning of an infinitive, a verb as soon as possible. Now, I don't necessarily get so hung up with the whole um, infinitive um, wording with younger kids, although I do have a fourth grader who says every single time we're highlighting prepositions, I hate infinitives. They always trick me on my prepositions. I hate infinitives. That's the worst grammar item. He says it every single week and everybody's like, we know, we know you hate infinitives. So cute. Um, but teaching it as part of a verb as soon as possible. And we do this, I do this by saying, if it's two plus a verb, don't highlight it as a preposition. If it's two plus a verb, it's not a preposition. If it's two plus a verb, remember it's a verb. All right, and I just say that to them over and over and over again. I like to use the same terminology, the same phrasing, the same wording when I am teaching specific things. And you'll notice that all throughout here, I will say the same things. A lot of times the same phrasing, the same terminology, um, because that helps it stick so much better. And then of course, two plus an object is a preposition. And it helps if your preposition lesson teaches not only like a memorization protocol, like a song or a jingle or a rhyme, but it also teaches that two plus an object is a prep. So to the cloud, to the store, to the um, table, to the mom, to the teacher, whatever. 
I'll get into that a lot more in my preposition lesson. All right, number six is to divide practice for two as a preposition and two as an infinitive in two steps. So the first thing I like to do is just after they've, we've already done the two that's the numeral and the two TO, now we are, and that, that was just not really worried so much about two plus a verb or two plus an object in step four. But now in step six, we are going to look at the sentences and decide whether it is a two plus an object or two plus a verb, okay? So what we will do here is we will highlight two, 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 two in those sentences. And we do practice ones together and then I give assignments for home. So we'll go through on step six, divide practice for two as a preposition, two as an infinitive in two steps. So we'll go through and we'll highlight the twos together. And then we will say is to the store a preposition or a verb? And then I say, is it telling you to, is it doing something? Does it have a BHL verb with it? To the store, no, that's a, it's telling us to go someplace. It's showing position, preposition, show position. And then they write beside it, um, P for prep. And they um, have already highlighted the twos. Okay, then we want to run up the hill. I say to run, notice what's after the two. Is that, is to run a prepositional phrase or is that a special verb? I'll say it's a verb, put an I beside it, okay? So we go through these verbally in two steps. And then my seventh step is to put the three together. And that is with a fill in the blank type of assignment, T-W-O, T-O-O, and T-O. And so I use uh, this text. I am on lesson D here, wacky words, that's what we call them here. And again, just like last week, we always go into the passage and find this, the grammar items first. So we go into the passage and we find the grammar elements. And okay. Okay, so with the um, homophone lessons, just like all grammar lessons, I go into the passage and we, we've highlighted there. All right, and here is um, some material that you can use with your students. And here uh, is a fill in the blank assignment. Looks like the blanks are missing. My copying and pasting is not working very well on these. So um, sorry about that. I'm gonna improve that in the future for you. All right, and then I have them write sentences using them. So they fill in the blank and then they write sentences. All right, so that takes us through episode number two. I am going to uh, work on getting these down to 30 minutes. Um, it's probably going to be either a writing lesson or a grammar usage homophone lesson. I won't be able to do both lessons in one. It's really important that I get them down to 30 minutes because I don't wanna lose you. <laughs> so, and I know these have been 40 to 45. So um, this is good for me to know. And so I will keep working on that and getting it down to 30 minutes and we will have either writing or grammar slash homophones slash vocab slash editing, whatever the other lessons might be. So anyway, I wanna take you to the back of your slideshow or the back of your teacher's notebook. And 
there you go, languageartsladyblog.com forward slash how I teach. That is where you're going to get your episode sheets for this week from your teacher's notebook. And then languageartsladyblog.com forward slash teacher's notebook is where you're going to get all of the episode sheets uh, up to that moment. So um, probably every two weeks we will update that so you can get them all together. So if you're behind, you know, and you haven't printed any yet, you can grab that full one that has um, all of the sheets in it. All right, and then the story writing that I taught from today uh, is in a lot of my other materials that you can purchase. Now, keep in mind also that I did not get the slide up about the freebies. So you can go to languageartsladyblog.com forward slash freebies and grab your freebies, all of your free books, okay? So there, some of those have story writing and so forth. They are completely free books, five free books for second and third grade, for fourth and fifth, for sixth, seventh and eighth, for ninth and 10th, and then for 11th and 12th. So um, you can grab those uh, for free at the blog. But here are some other materials that you might want to purchase that go along with today's story writing lesson. So this slide here has digital one month books. So in your teacher's notebook, it'll have the digital one month books listed. And you can see that there's an original elephant story. There's a, the days my, a day my toys revolted story. There's a holiday story retold. There's a getting away from a villain in hook ship. There is finished Jungle Book scenes. And then there's a preposition practice packet also available um, and a Beauty and the Beast preposition practice packet for those who want to work on the differences between those two and two. And then here are some of the one semester spiral bound print books that have story writing in them as well. Meaningful Composition 5-2, Creative and Clever. That's what kids are. They are creative and clever. Meaningful Composition 7-2, Meaningful Composition 9-1, Meaningful Composition 9-2. Thank you for joining me. Before I go, I do want you to know that I have uh, live and in-person classes and online classes. So check out the Create a Class at languageartsladyblog.com. And uh, you can even make a class. If you have uh, four or five or six students in a co-op situation or friends, and you want me to teach them writing for a semester on Zoom, uh, get a hold of me and we will create a class together. Thank you for joining me for How I Teach, episode number two.